you want to go ahead and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30. It's the first passage I want to look at tonight. <coughs> Deuteronomy chapter 30. If you uh, have been here recently, then you would notice that we haven't been going through a series for quite some time uh, on authority. Um, we started this a while back, and this is now lesson eight, and this is where I'm going to conclude the lesson, um, or conclude the series uh, on authority. Uh, now, that doesn't mean I'm going to stop preaching on authority. In fact, I think one thing you hopefully you saw from the lesson this morning is that authority, it is always a part of the message. It, uh, I love what um, many brother Ed Bragwell has said, or said many, many times when he would preach a lesson when he, during Bible classes, during studies, he always just said, it all boils down to authority. Um, and I think that that statement is true. Now, but the reason we've been going through this series as we looked at Colossians 3 and verse 17, where it says that in word or deed, in everything we do, do all in the name of the Lord. Uh, we mean that. We truly do mean that. Um, and so looking at that passage and, and uh, especially how it applies to our lives, the whole point of this series was to make the point that our standards for understanding and establishing authority ultimately should not change when we come to God's word. Um, there is logical conclusions that we come to. Um, there are just um, common sense points that are already in place, assumptions that are already in place when we communicate with each other. I think randomly, arbitrarily, people tend to change those expectations when they come to God's revealed word. Uh, and I don't think that that's fair. And hopefully we've made that case as we've gone through when it comes to um, uh, how do we know someone's will? Well, they have to tell you. They have to communicate to you in some way. What are the basic ways that we communicate? Well, we, we can tell you how, what is in our minds, we can show you, or we can imply something to, to you, uh, and vice versa. And I think the same, we see the same thing with the way God communicates with us, and that makes sense. He, he created us to understand him. Um, and so we've just been trying to boil it down in similar ways like that. Tonight, um, I want to look at Deuteronomy 30, beginning in verse 11. <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 11 to ask a question. It says, For this commandment which I command you today is not too difficult for you, nor is it out of reach. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will go up to heaven for us to get it for us and make us hear it, that we may observe it? Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will cross the sea for us to get it for us and make us hear it, that we may observe it. But the word is very near you in your mouth and in your heart that you may observe it. And then he continues to go on to talk about how there's two different paths before you. There's death and there's life. Choose life. And what does that mean? Obedience. You need to obey God if you want to, if you want to choose life. And any other path that we decide, well, that's, that's ultimately death. And we even made that point earlier this morning when we talked about Korah's rebellion. Now, we looked at this uh, in the first couple of lessons, I believe in the first lesson of this series. And, and uh, when we looked at it, we actually looked at what Paul has to say about this. He quotes this passage in Romans, in the, epistles, uh, the epistle to the Romans. And as he quotes this passage, he inserts the fulfillment of it. He inserts the answer. Well, who's going to get it for us? That is Christ. Who, who can go up to heaven to bring it down for us? Christ has. Who's going to go to the abyss and bring it to us? 
Jesus has already done that. You have everything you need. Now, before we even get to the New Testament and Paul says that, I think when Moses is speaking this to the people of Israel, I don't think it, I believe what he says. I don't think it is too difficult for them to understand the will of God. Now, if it was not too difficult for them, and then Paul comes in in the, in the New Covenant and says to Christians, listen, Christ is the answer here. He has done this for us emphatically. And so there's no doubts, there's no question about it. If it wasn't too difficult for, for the, uh, the uh, generation who Moses speaks to in Deuteronomy, if it's not too difficult for the first century Christians, is it too difficult today? That's the question. And ultimately, I don't think it is. I don't think it's fair when uh, someone comes up and tries to say something different than that. I think that we absolutely can um, uh, understand what God has given to us. And I think that we can understand how to establish authority, what he is trying to communicate us, to us in terms of his authority, what is authorized and what is not authorized with his church, with his people, and our relationships with him. Now, as we go throughout this study, as we conclude this series, what I want to talk about is something that you probably have heard of before, maybe you haven't heard of, but we're going to be kind of uh, dividing this up into two different ideas. The, the idea of specific authority and generic, or general authority. I'm probably going to use general much more than I use generic. But there's specific authority and there's general authority. And how I want to start this is really by just giving an illustration of how we would communicate to each other Make and, and all the while going through what I would say are a couple of um, helpful rules to keep in our minds of uh, how we authorize something, how we go about making decisions. Ultimately, to ask that question again, should it change? Should the expectations change when it comes to God's uh, authority? And so, uh, and if so, why is that? So let's just begin with what this looks like when we talk about this idea of specific and generic authority or general authority. First of all, just in defining, the ter defining our terms here, um, that which is specified, it is constituting or, this is Google, um, it's constituting or falling into a specifiable category restricted to a particular individual situation, relation, or effect especially the beginning of the definition, it's always hilarious whenever you go to the dictionary and you say, define this word, and it uses that word to define it. The second part of it, I think, is pretty helpful. It's something that is restricted to a particular individual, situation, relation, or effect. We'll go into an illustration in just a moment. But the first rule that I want to look at in terms of um, restrictions when it comes to that which has been specified, the first rule is that the more specific we get on something, the more exclusive it becomes. Now, again, I just want to give a brief illustration on that, at least somewhat brief. Um, so somebody says, I want to buy a car. You have that claim given. I want to buy a car. Well, what that does is it excludes many, many things. Someone says that I need to buy a car for whatever reason. And, and you know, you come up and you say, well, you said you wanted a car. Here's a dog. Here's a puppy. Well, thank you for this added expense that I did not need before I try to buy a car. <laughs> you know, obviously, they're not asking for a pet. That, if they say they want a, a car, that means that's not a pet, it's not a, uh, uh, I don't know why that first option there is a car. <laughs> uh, that's, that's my bad there. But it, when, we, <laughs> when, we, uh, when he says, I want a car, just scratch that out in your minds. He's saying, I don't want a bike, I don't want an instrument, I don't want a pet, I want a car. Uh, luckily, that animation is going to leave in just a moment, so that won't be too, too confusing. But we understand that. I mean, just again, it doesn't, it, it doesn't even take any thought 
immediately we understand what the person is communicating and we understand it would be inappropriate to try to give them a puppy after they said this is something that they need. And, and so uh, from the very outset, what we find is that something that is specified, when something is specified, it means it is excluding other things, what that is not. Uh, it's restricting um, what that is not. And so, you know, uh, going beyond that, not only uh, looking at what specific means, but looking at the term generic. Um, it says relating to or characteristic of a whole group or class, or essentially, uh, I would say relating to or characteristic of that which has been specified. And this brings us to, um, uh, th this will bring us to uh, the, the second point that I think we need to look at when it comes to this idea of specific and generic authority. General authority always falls under what has been specified. Now, going back to that car illustration, Okay, so you say, I want a car, or I need to buy a car, but then um, there's a lot of options underneath that. There's a whole lot of options, you, and there's more than what I have listed here, but, but that you could get a Ford, a Honda, a Chevy, a Tesla, even though no one's able to afford something like that. You could get a Hyundai. There's a lot of different options. Now, you have, you have specified that you want a car, but... There's a lot of options underneath that. There's general authority to pick any one of those cars. But let's say that someone goes a little bit further and they say, okay, well, I want a Honda. Well, what does that further, uh, what does that further specify? Well, that means that if I say I want a car, I want a Honda, well, no other make is going to do. If you specify that you want a Honda and someone said, and if you talk to a dealer and they say, uh, you know, whoever you meet at the dealership and they, and after you say, I want a Honda and they start bringing you all these cars that's a Ford or a Chevy or just everything but a Honda, you're going to say, is there somebody else that can understand plain English? Again, we just, we understand that. And so you specify even further. And so that excludes even more. But even as you have specified further, you say, I want a Honda, there are still a lot of options that you have. Uh, but, uh, and so there, when you think about that, there is liberty within this general authority. So you say you want a Honda. Well, you could get a CRV, you could get an Odyssey, a Pilot, a Civic. There are a lot of other options. Now, again, this doesn't mean we haven't specified. We specified much. And you wouldn't imagine how much you specify when you take, you know, every other make out of the equation. You just say, let's just go with this one. Well, you still have a few options. Now, if you just left it there and said, I want a Honda, and, and someone started providing you with these options, you say, okay, that's fine. That is the, that's a part of that general authority. That falls under what has been specified. That's what we mean by general authority. And so there's liberty within what has been specified. Um, and so you would be okay with picking any one of these options, but you know, let's go a little further. Um, so while there is liberty here, that doesn't mean there are no boundaries. Um, because obviously from what has been specified, that's really what we, we talk about this word, and I'm probably gonna say specific and gener uh, general a lot. But when we talk about what is specified, we're talking about boundaries that are being set up, parameters that are being set up. And so, you have a lot of un options under the umbrella of a Honda. Well, you go a little bit further. The more we specify some on something, the less general that thing is, and I think vice versa. But the more we specify, that means the less liberty we have. So you go even further on this and you say, well, I, I want a Honda, but I don't want it to be an SUV, a crossover, or a truck. Well, that gets rid of all of these things that's been crossed out on the screen. That gets rid of the CRV, the HRV, the Odyssey, and the Pilot. That leaves you 
only two other options. Well, there may be a couple other models. I don't know that well. The only reason I went with Honda is because I used to work at a Honda dealership. And so this is about the extent of my knowledge on cars. But anyway, you've specified even further, but even though you've specified, there's still some general authority there. And what does that mean? You have liberty to choose between a Civic and an Accord. Because you haven't specified against those, those would fall under what has been authorized by the buyer. Um, and I, I promise uh, that this is going to come together and make sense uh, when we get to the end here. But so, so you're left with just these two options here, which would be authorized. Now, when you look at, back at these rules, not everything must be specifically spelled out to be authorized. Uh, again, if you wanted to pick between the Civic or Accord, either would be okay. Neither would be the wrong choice, neither would be unauthorized because uh, from what has been specified, it is still an option, it's still liable, it, or it's, um, not li it, it's still viable as an option. And I would just add to this that when we say this, this does not mean that you're acting on silence. And we're going to bring this back in as well as we go throughout when we look at more examples specifically in the scriptures. This does not mean you're acting on silence, but what are you doing? There has been much that has been revealed. There's been much that has been specified, restricted, and so you're working within these boundaries. And so you could pick between these two things. Um, and so it's not acting on silence. It's just acting on what you have been told, and therefore you have liberty to choose between these last two options. And with all of these specifications, uh, you still have that general authority. Well, finally, the last rule, and these, I'm just trying to boil this down here. I know it doesn't seem like I'm boiling it down with six different rules, but I really am trying to just boil it down. There's more that we could say, but I think these are the most essential things that we can say when we talk about the differences between general and specific authority. Ultimately, context does matter. It, it, has a, it, it is incredibly weighty when it comes to how we make certain decisions. So, if you're talking to someone, you're, you're the dealer and you're trying to sell someone a car, I mean, you're trying to get them to buy a car. And ultimately, you've specified to this amount, you have two options, a Civic or an Accord. But then they ultimately say, I could never afford an Accord. Well, they didn't say, I don't want an Accord, but it's pretty obvious that the only option left is a Civic. And now, just because they didn't say, I don't want that, that doesn't, that doesn't mean that, it has, that what they said has nothing to do with it, has no bearing. To give you another, um, maybe more silly illustration, if someone is thirsty, they come home, <laughs> um, you, you come home from a jog, and, and you say to somebody, whoever, whoever is there, you just say, I, I am thirsty, I feel like I'm about to pass out, I need a drink. And let's say they just pass you a bottle of liquid laxative. Is that a drink? Oh yeah, it's a drink. But is it what you were asking for, really? No, you're asking for something to hydrate, not something that was going to make the matter exponentially worse. Again, we understand that that's something that doesn't really even have to be said. That's an absurd illustration. But the reason I go through it is because we understand that would, of course, not do. And neither would we give them cough syrup. No, just because it's a liquid, just because it is technically a drink, no. That doesn't fit, that's not appropriate for the situation. And so context does uh, indicate much, and it has much to do with uh, the decisions that we can make, especially when it comes to what is authorized and what is not authorized. Now, again, we understand all of this in everyday interactions when we communicate with each other. Why does it change with God when we read through his scriptures? I think people tend to 
act like things change because they want to pretend, well, you know, because it doesn't say thou shalt not. Well, then we can go ahead and do it. No, that's, that's a, a, a logical fallacy. And honestly, that's dishonest. Frankly, that's dishonest. And so we don't want to approach the scriptures in that same way. We want to approach it as honest people. We want to approach it as people who truly care, sincerely care about what God wants from us. What can I do to please the Lord? Now, going beyond this uh, really just arbitrary illustration, I want to see how these things actually played out, um, how people made these decisions when it comes to the authority of God in their lives just throughout the scriptures. A couple of examples within the scriptures, and then we'll end with application. How do we do this today? Well, first of all, if you look back at Genesis chapter 6, beginning in verse 14, this is the story where obviously of Noah and the ark, God tells Noah that there's a flood that's coming and it's going to destroy the whole world. And what does he do? He gives him instruction to build the ark. In verse 14, and we could read more, but in verse 14 it says, make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with rooms and shall cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you shall make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark and finish it to a cubit from the top and set the door of the ark in the side of it. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. And again, you could go even further because there's even more illustration, or there's even more instructions, commandments that God gives to Noah. Now, what I want to do here is look at the commands that God gives him and see what has been specified and maybe what falls under the general authority or the liberties that Noah could take. Here is an example where there's, um, I think, much more specifics that, that are given than in other uh, places. But uh, this, when it comes to the ark, when it comes to the tabernacle, when it comes to much of the service of the tent of meeting um, and all the, the utensils that are going to be used, how they are to fashion those things, all of those are given many specifications. And so it leaves a lot less room for liberties. And so you're going to see that there's a lot less liberty here on, on this example specifically. But uh, just from the outset, what you find is that the, the material, the dimensions that Noah is to use, that has been specified by God. And therefore, there's really no liberty for him to take. When God has said, this is what I want you to do, there's no liberty for someone to say, well, I think I'm going to do the opposite. Or I think I'm going to go ahead, instead of using gopher wood, which God clearly stated commanded from me, I think, you know, I, I don't know, I really like um, oak. I think that looks a lot better. And that's really going to make the ark pop out to the sinners that are drowning around us. No, he, he didn't get to say that. God said he wanted gopher wood, so you, guess what? There's no liberty. There's no liberty to take, uh, to decide to go uh, against what he has specified. And so he is restricted to only using that gopher wood to build the ark. Um, and you also see it with the dimension of the material given. He, he, Noah doesn't get to come in. And can you imagine the folly of seeing Noah, a man, speak to, or think about God's instructions and say, you know what? I know a few carpenters and I know a few builders and I, just, I think I have a better idea for the structure of this, for this ark. Can you imagine if he said that to God? That, that wouldn't fly. And, and that's because you have the creator giving an instruction to m mortal man. God's instruction takes precedence. And we don't get to come in, Noah doesn't get to come in and say, well, I think I know better. And that kind of illustration should help us understand how foolish it looks when people do that today. Even still, that does not fly. We don't get to say, I think that this will actually help. That's not your call. It's not your role. What has God said? That's what we will do.
Well, not only that, but you have even more that's specified. You have uh, the, the, the people that are actually invited onto the ark. In verse 18 of Genesis chapter 6, he's, uh, he talks about Noah and his family members. Noah didn't get to go down and say, well, I have a few best friends down there. <laughs> and, it, you know, I, I would really like for them to. Now, ultimately, I don't think Noah probably had any best friends because it says that the whole world was wicked to their core. And so he probably didn't, uh, being the righteous man he was, he probably didn't have any friends like that. But he didn't get to come and say, come to God and say, well, no, I, I know what God said, but why don't you guys just come up? You know, you guys help me out one day so that, no, he doesn't have that liberty. And it's the same with the animals. I really despise snakes. And it would be a temptation to accidentally kick them off the boat or, or leave them off or shut the door before. But you know what? That wasn't, that's, I don't have the liberty to do that. It doesn't matter what I think. It's not my liberty and it's not my role. What has God said? And he gives him instruction, and Noah did what was specified. Now, even with all of those specifications, there is some general authority here. There's some liberty. And, and really, all, the only thing I could think of was just in the construction of the ark. How was Noah to build the ark? Well, I think there was a few things that Noah could have done. He could have used tools. God does not specify necessarily the tools that he has to use. Maybe there was some kind of... Um, interesting prehistoric scaffolding uh, you know, structure that they had to help build the ark. He could have used something like that. He could have used a hammer and a chisel, and he could have used uh, different kinds of tools to uh, build the ark. Now, going, going along those lines, I think this shows us, uh, going back to some of those rules we talked about, not everything has to be specifically spelled out. And, and what you don't find here when, when God gives him the instruction no, Noah understands. It's not like he's just completely bewildered. Okay, well, what's the next step? Okay, well, Noah, first, you're going to pick up the hammer. All right, what's next? Now that you've picked up the hammer, you're going to walk over to this position over here. And when you get to this mark, then he, no, he doesn't have to go through step every minute detail. The instruction has been given. It is clear what God wants. If you do what he has specified and, and you know, don't go beyond what has been restricted... Then you, are, then you are doing that which has been authorized. Um, and so I, I think that's important to look at as we think about specifically the example of Noah. And so Noah could have, was acting on general authority by using maybe tools or scaffolding or something like that. But even though he was, he was acting on general authority when it came to the construction, that does not take away from his obedience to the specific. It, it, when we're talking about the difference between specified and general, again, we're just, these are relative terms. We're just boiling this down. Uh, and I hope that's what I'm doing. Maybe I'm complicating things. But we're trying to boil this down. These are just relative terms. Ultimately, remember what we said. General authority falls under what has been specified. It is every, when we talk about general authority and liberty, what we mean is the boundaries that God has set up, you get to do anything within those boundaries. And, and so, and I, but again, we don't want to look like, look at that the way the Pharisees did and say, well, let's go right up to the line. That's not what I'm saying. But when we're talking about establishing authority, that's how we look at it. We look at what God has set up and we will not pass those parameters. Everything within, we want to uh, stick with what God has specified. Well, going beyond this illustration, let's look at another example. Specifically, the Great Commission in Matthew 28 and verse 19 beginning, Jesus says to his disciples, go therefore to his apostles, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. 
Now, within this passage, there are a few commandments given here, and I just want to look at uh, three of them. Uh, the first being that commandment to go. He says, go and do what? Well, ultimately, what he's saying is you are to make, he even says, you go and make disciples. He's speaking about evangelism here. That is what has been specified. Well, how are we to go? I think that the how is, is uh, kind of falls into the, the general authority because you see several different examples of the apostles sailing. You see them walking to their destinations. Uh, they wouldn't have been able to fly back then. But you see a few different ways that they travel, whether it be by, by donkey, by horse, by camel, by sailing, by walking, whatever the case may be. There were several different examples we have. That was not specified. Well, the command is to go. Now, uh, I think today you see a few other ways that we can go, and that's by you know, flying because they wouldn't have had that technology back then. But we can use that to get to a gospel meeting maybe. We can use that to get to another place that is far away so that way we can preach the gospel. You know what we, how else we can uh, go and make disciples? We can use something like the Internet, and we actually use that here. We, try to, I, I, we have a, a Facebook page here at Lakeside to try and, and get the word out and to try and, and just, you know, plant a seed somewhere and just at least to say, hey, we're over here. <laughs> and so we use some of those, uh, I mean, we, we use all of these uh, means of traveling, uh, transportation, even today. Now, with all that being said, <laughs> we know that there's general authority in how we are to go. We understand, though, as I've heard uh, one preacher say, that we shouldn't be spreading the gospel in a stolen vehicle, right? I mean, we understand that. And so don't go too far just because, uh, you know, as we're talking about these different, uh, maybe, maybe it seems kind of nuanced. Don't go too far in the, in the wrong direction or in, into an extreme just because there's general authority. That doesn't mean that we get to just we get to do just whatever we want just because it's less specific. No, no, no. There are still boundaries that God has set up. And a part of those boundaries is looking at the examples that we have, the, the divinely approved examples that we have, and the implications, divine implications from the scriptures. Well, going beyond that, not only does he say to go and make disciples, talking about evangelism, but he also has this uh, command to baptize those who are going to be converted. Baptize those those who uh, pledge themselves to the king to become a part of the kingdom, baptizing them in, a, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Even here, there is great specification. Because what does this do? When you just look at the word itself, it is incredibly restrictive because it is very exclusive. What does it exclude? It excludes anything but immersion. That is what baptize means. It means to be immersed. It doesn't mean a sprinkling. It doesn't mean a pouring or just, it doesn't even mean a mere getting wet. It means immersion. And so that is very specific. Just one word can be incredibly restrictive. And so that's important that we stick within those boundaries that God has given. And so when we are going to baptize someone, we are not going to sprinkle or pour or just get them wet merely. We are going to immerse them in the same way, incidentally, that you see all of the Christians in Acts, every time you see a conversion in Acts, you find that they are baptized, that they are immersed, rising up in newness of life. Uh, and so there's great specification there. But, you know, even with that much specification, there's still some general authority. Now, not, not to say that we have liberty to decide, well, I don't want to be fully immersed because I just don't like the idea of getting fully wet. No, that's not what we're talking about here. There's no liberty there. But there is liberty in the where. There are many places that you could be baptized. You have several examples. You have uh, people being baptized in a creek, people being baptized in the Jordan River. 
You could be baptized in the Red Sea, the Dead Sea, and any other body of water. Essentially, the specification is what, whatever body of water uh, is large enough uh, to, to provide enough water to immerse someone in. That's essentially the only specification. But other than that, it can be in any country. It could be in, as, as you see on the screen, as simple as a bathtub. As long as we are immersing these people, as long as we are sticking to what God has prescribed, truly, sincerely, well, then we're doing what God has, what God has commanded us to do. And so it's exclusive on many accounts. Uh, but then you look in application and you find that there's still that liberty of where, to, where we can be uh, baptized. Um, but finally, with this uh, example, you have that command uh, to teach. <clears throat> he says, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That is what we are supposed to teach those who want to become disciples, those who are going to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit to become disciples, to become Christians. Now, uh, starting off this time with um, what it includes, what the liberties that you have when you think about teaching. Um, just kind of going back to what we were talking about when it was how do we, you know, how we could travel. But there are several different ways that we could teach people. We could teach people in a private study. We could teach people in a public study. We could teach people through Skype or Zoom. We could teach people through a YouTube vi video. There are different ways that you could teach people. Now, just because there are different ways that we could teach people, that doesn't mean there are no specifications at all. And that doesn't mean we don't need to be careful and cautious about how we go about this. Because there are some things that, that people would say, oh, well, it falls under, it falls under that which is a liberty, and, and really people can take that too far, uh, which we're going to look at more in the, in the final point here. But, but again, there's all these different ways that we could teach someone. And guess what? You're not just restricted to a private study. There can be a public study. You can have a study in Chick-fil-A. You could have a study in uh, you know, uh, Casa Grande. Essentially, whatever uh, environment is conducive to um, a Bible study, a place that's quiet enough for, to hear each other, a place that's uh, calm enough to not be distracted. I mean, those, those are pretty good parameters to set in place. And I've been in several studies, especially at Chick-fil-A. Now, that's more of a preference for me. I would rather go to Chick-fil-A than any other place because that's, I think, quality food. But it doesn't have to be there. It could be at a pizza. I've done that before. Not as quality. But we could still do that. And so I hope you understand the point that I'm making. Now, that doesn't mean that there are no restrictions whatsoever just because there are some liberties that we can take there. When you think about what is being taught, you don't get to teach whatever you want. You don't get to teach whatever you, you think it, uh, it would be fun and entertaining. You are to teach only the gospel. There is nothing more. You don't add to it. You don't take away from it as what Paul says in Galatians 1 and verses 6 through 9. You don't get to preach another gospel. We don't have that liberty. We only teach everything. Teach them to observe all that I commanded you. Let me just say, that is a, I think, an exciting enough and a large enough responsibility uh, in what we are to teach. And so really, what are we doing when we try to add or take away from it? And so, we, uh, and so hopefully you see a few, um, uh, hopefully that makes sense as we go through a couple of these examples, how you see it within the first century and how we can even apply that today. Finally, I just want to look at one of the main um, illustrations we could look at, main examples we could look at for us today. 
uh, still kind of doing the same thing we've been doing, look at what is specified and what is uh, what we have some liberty in. But specifically when it comes to something like how do you, how do you worship God in music? How are we to do that? Well, you have, uh, we actually had it up on the screen not too long ago, Colossians 3 and verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly and, and singing, making melody in your heart. Ephesians 5, 19 says essentially the same thing, that you speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. This is a commandment. This is a specification that God has given to his people. And therefore, it is not something to be taken lightly. So what, it, what is it that has been specified and what is it really that we have liberty in? Well, first of all, you see this notion of speaking to one another. He says that we are to sing. That word itself is exclusive in and of itself because he says sing. He does not say make music or play. Those definitions do not equate. And so sing does not mean to play or make music. It means we sing. Now... <clears throat> No matter what the case may be, maybe you're in a congregation that is, is, is blessed enough to have a, a, a beautiful singing and, and loud singing, but you may be in a congregation that doesn't have very talented singers. Does that mean that we get to, uh, does that mean that we get to bring instruments in because we think it's going to make it better? That's kind of like if Noah tried to say, you know what, I think I can make this ark look a ton better, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just, you know, Throw God's instructions by the wayside. I'm going to do it my way. How would that have ended up? Not good. And while we may not see, um, we may not see it as, as visually evident, it is absolutely just as devastating when we do it in spiritual matters, when it comes to that which is authorized or what has not been authorized by God. And so this is exclusive in and of itself. But there is still some liberty. When we do sing hymns, there, we get to decide what tempo we sing at. There are some hymns that some people, that some brethren, I think, sing at too slow of a tempo. There are most brethren who say that I sing at way too fast of a tempo on every song that I lead. But there's liberty there. We get to decide what tempo we're going to sing at. You get to kind of decide somewhat what pitch you're going to sing it at. Uh, because, again, if you start way too high, that's not going to be conducive. That's not going to be helpful to the worship service. We're trying to sing together. But even there, there is some liberty. And so you see, the, uh, hopefully you see that just from the outset. Well, not only that, but what we are to sing is specified. What does he say but psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs? Well, that excludes anything that is, with, that is outside of those categories. Anything, we don't get to say, well, you know... There is a song that I heard that just ha it does have really beautiful lyrics, and maybe it's a you know maybe it's about you know a marriage relationship, and it actually says something somewhat beautiful. Uh, today's music, I don't think you see that as much. <laughs> it's not it's not as frequent, but it still could happen. And you say, you know what? It talks about love in such a beautiful way. I think we should add that into the service. What is is it a hymn? Is it a spiritual song? Is it a psalm? Then it has no place in the worship service. We sing specific songs that have to do with our praise to God, about his character, about his love. We sing those kinds of songs. We don't just bring anything into this. And we're certainly not going to bring a secular piece into the worship and try to use that to praise God. Because that is not how this works. Now, even within that though, there is still some liberty. 
because we get to sing 2,000-year-old psalms by David. We actually sing Psalm 19, and it, I, it's one of my favorite hymns that we actually sing. Uh, you know, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting soul. Oh, you go through all of that, all those lyrics. It's beautiful, especially with the tune. It just, it really, really hits the spot. And I think that those words, I think that psalm still does a good job when, in praising God to this day. But we're not just restricted to songs 2,000 years ago. We have songs that we sing in our hymn books that we sing from two, that were written 200 years ago. And there's even a few songs that have been written a couple decades ago. You know, in one of these hymn books, you're going to find that Brother Danny McKibben. Well, I, I mean... He didn't write the song originally, but it was to, uh, it was a, it was a hymn that I don't really think was a hymn. It didn't have lyrics that were very spiritual, but what he did was provide spiritual lyrics and ultimately I think made a beautiful hymn. And so while, while we, while this is exclusive in the command that these are the things that we sing when we praise God, there's still some liberty there. And we get to decide, well, here's, here's a hymn that's been written maybe even yesterday by a brother in Christ. And it could, it could be just as beautiful as Psalm 19. Um, again, I think that's rare. Uh, but, but there's still that liberty there. Well, uh, finally, <clears throat> we talked about a few different things that are specified, uh, therefore, that, uh, which excludes and liberties that we have even within those commandments when they are specified. Again, remember that we're not saying that which is a liberty, it just it flies in the face of what has been restricted. No, it's what falls under the boundaries that God has set in place. Now, with all that being said, a very common question that's asked when you think about music in worship is, what about instruments? Why couldn't, we, why couldn't we use instruments? I, I think especially one thing you hear is, well, really, we're just using instruments to expedite the singing. And this goes back to something we, were, we said not too long ago, uh, earlier in, in, in this example here. But first of all, as you already saw, the command is to sing. And so it doesn't really make much sense to try and add to that. What you're trying to do is not just merely make an adjustment even though that's too far, what you're literally doing is adding something to uh, what God has specified. Uh, again, I like what <laughs> J.R. Bronger has said about this. When, when he says, well, you use, someone may say, well, you use song bu songbooks while you're singing hymns to God. And one time he retorted by just saying, well, you know what? When, when you use a songbook, you're not singing and booking. But when you have an instrument, you are singing and playing. And, and, and so, uh, and I think that maybe, I don't think that that was simply reductive. It was witty, but I don't think it was reductive. But it makes the point. It, you can have expediencies that facilitate the worship. But when people start talking about expediencies, that which expedites uh, the, the worship or facilitates the worship, you, you don't get to use that as an excuse, as you see, to override what God has commanded, what God has instructed. And so you say, this, this is simply going to expedite what God has commanded. But is this an addition to it? Or is this really just going to expedite? This is something that sometimes people talk about when, when um, denominations are, or when I've talked to uh, denominational folks about, you know, well, we built a gymnasium or we built a fellowship hall even. And, and they say, well, what we're going to do is we're going to use this ultimately to get people in the room. Get the people in the room to do what? Not worship. When you put a sign up that says basketball tournament, what are they coming for? They're coming for a basketball tournament. They are not coming to worship God. 
And so you can't say that this is just a mere expediency. It's not. It's a complete addition. It is something that is completely foreign to the scriptures. And so you don't get to bring this in. That is not the gospel. And in the same way with something like a fellowship hall. What is, that is not an expediency, but that is an addition that someone is bringing in. And you could say the same thing about instruments. What did God say? He said to sing. And he said to make melody with your heart. With psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Speaking to one another. I don't know how you could be more clear. He even says essentially the same thing in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. And there are a few other passages that we could look at. And there are a few other honest questions that people can come and approach us with. But ultimately, when someone tries to say, well, instruments that maybe... (laughs) I know what's been specified, but it's just going to expedite what has been specified. Something can't be a liberty or generally authorized if it contradicts something that God has specified. You think about uh, an example like, like King Isaiah in 2 Chronicles chapter 26, verses 16 through 21, when he decides he becomes prideful and he decides, you know what, I'm going to offer worship to God, much like just like the priests, the priestly worship. And this harkens back to what we talked to this, about this morning in Numbers chapter 16. You had men that were not priests who were trying to take that role upon themselves. And how did God see that? He did not take it lightly, but he destroyed those men swiftly and justly. And he does a, and he does a very similar thing with King Isaiah. He doesn't destroy him because of the mercy of God, but he is struck with leprosy and he is a leper for the rest of his days on earth. Because he tried to offer worship that God had not authorized. Hey, this is something that has been specified to give priestly worship. But guess what? I'm just I'm going to expedite the priestly worship. Uh, I'm going to make it easier for them so they get a, a day off, a rest day. This is just going to facilitate ultimately in the, in, in the long run you know, our worship because they're going to get more energy. They're going to rest and it's going to be fine. I'm going to do it for them. That's, you're going completely against what God has specified. That is not your job. That is not your role. And so, uh, uh, coming back to to the instruments, honesty is so important here. It is not an expediency if it is an addition or an adjustment even. Again, uh, an expediency is that which facilitates or aids the specific command, not something which adds or takes away or even substitutes the command. That is an adjustment, and that is an unscriptural adjustment. So, as you think about that, I hope that the, those, those general rules that we kind of laid out earlier and some of these illustrations have kind of helped as you think about uh, the, how do we apply some of these things. It could have been that I made it more difficult. If so, you can talk to me afterwards. Uh, I, I find that when people are asking me questions, I'm able to much better explain, uh, explain things because then I can hit exactly where maybe I uh, kind of derailed or something or maybe I gave a poor illustration. Regardless of that, it may be that this wasn't as clear as it could have been. There's more that could be said even. But honestly, the whole point is, in, in, in all of this, are you respecting God's authority? We need to honestly answer that question. There are people who would say, of course I am. But they don't show it by their application of God's word. Are you respecting God's authority? Do you respect his commands? Or are you simply acting like the Israelites, like the Jews in the first century who said, hey, hey, I'm respecting God's commands, but they didn't let it go deeper than the surface. And they were hypocrites. And they're condemned for that, for that hypocrisy. I don't want to be a hypocrite like that. If maybe you are not someone who feels like you're respecting God's authority. If that's the case, then you're just simply not respecting the king.
You're not respecting the one who gave himself on the cross. You're not respecting the one who sacrificed himself, proved himself as the son of the living God, and proved himself that king through the resurrection of the dead. And if you want to share in that victory that that king has, you have to come to terms with submission to him and subjecting yourself to his commandments truly, not hypocritically, and not, not apathetically, but sincerely giving yourself to his commandments. And that means believing everything that he says, trusting in his word, repenting of everything that he says that you cannot have in your life, cutting those things off, confessing that he is the king, pledging yourself to him, and being baptized in newness of life, his life, and putting to death that old man. Are you willing to submit to that king tonight? If you're subject to the invitation, by any means, please let your need be made known as we stand.